Murphy Brown signs off, and George Lucas rules the box office once again in two different decades, once with the tail of a peck and in another with a crystal skull. This week on 30-20-10. Welcome everyone to 30-20-10, your weekly look back 30, 20, and 10 years ago into the past of pop culture and some minor, minor news. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Christopher Antista. Who else is with me? Uh, we can't stop here. It's Diana Goodman Country. Hi, everyone. It's Sarah. It's Sarah. We got we got hey, three Sarah. three folks here. Uh, I think, what's our age disparity here? We have about 10 years between all of us, I'm, and I'm smack dab in the middle. I think that's right. Yeah, so we're covering right. the decades of 1988, 1998, and 2008. Uh, we'll be talking about the week of May 18th yeah. through the 24th uh, in 2008. 1998 and 1988. Get it? 302010. That's how the show goes. We have a lot of exciting movies to talk about. Uh, nothing as big as the Seinfeld finale from last week, but a bunch of other shows closed their doors. Once again, we ask, where were you during these uh, during these dates? We'll tell you what we were doing, and it was watching most of this stuff. So sit right there uh, for a trip in our pop culture time machine. Anyway, we have to get started like we always do with 1988, May 18th through the 24th. Didn't see a lot of news here. Saw a lot of... Uh, Gorbachev and Reagan shaking fists at each other <laughs> with a bunch of things, <laughs> other nouns and verbs I don't really understand. Bob Dole claims something like, if we don't do this, we're going to disappoint our boy Reagan. I don't want to disappoint <laughs> oh, Reagan. No. I'm like, wow, he wasn't even dead yet. And you're already like treating him like Jesus. Yikes. <laughs> uh, don't, I'm not going to. I got nothing to say. I'm just pro sit here quietly. And yep. if you don't know, Diana's our pro-Russian sympathizer. Of course, she's going to stay silent. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I am American guy who does funny memes <laughs> about Hillary. <laughs> but let's skip the, the news entirely for 1988, May 18th to the 24th, and get right into the movies. Because uh, there's a two movies I want to get the hell out of the way immediately. Diana, anything on Call Me? I like the Blondie song. Me too. <laughs> I can find so little about this. I, I don't know what's going on here, that the Steve Buscemi's way down in the credits. Yes. So that's and nice. If you hear a dog barking in the episode, that is your dog's. Please say that your dog's dog. full name on his gift, his birth certificate. <laughs> Respected character actor Steve Buscemi. Yes. <laughs> full name of the dog. Fantastic. We call him Steve. Is that what they call out in the vet's office when it's time to take him back? <laughs> Respected no, character <laughs> actor. <laughs> That is what it says on his obedience school certificate. And they like asked me, okay, well, what name do you want on there? Is it just Steve or you want something else? I'm like, no, here's his full name. And they're like, what? I'm like, I'll write it down for you. Here you go. He is respected character actor Steve Buscemi. Thank he you. is. And I, I wish we were giving Steve Buscemi a little more respect, but we don't know anything about this movie. Nor do I know anything about the movie White of the Eye starring Kathy Moriarty and David Keith. Uh, except it's got a really 80s thriller trailer, that's Ooh, for sure. Let me hear it. Ten years ago, she married the man of her dreams. I love you more now than I did then. But does she really know him? Do you, baby? How much is she willing to understand? You know I do. Or forgive? Ooh. I couldn't believe it. It's like... It's like somebody else is doing it, and I'm watching, and I'm and I'm going crazy. This is insanity. <laughs> oh my! Oh, yeah. uh, that sounds wonderful. It's so, so oh, it's so synthesizer-y. Yeah, <laughs> a oh. lot of body parts, just shots of legs or these arms. The or... lost art of the erotic thriller. Yeah, man. And I'm guessing none of us have seen this. I've never heard of this movie, but uh, 
I could, I, if it wasn't for Kathleen Turner, I would have fallen in love with Kathy Moriarty's voice. But we already have one Kathleen Turner. Sorry, we don't need you. Um, but oh, come on, <laughs> What's couple, the... a couple of years will hit Soap Dish, and she is amazing. Okay, it's super anti-trans, but she's great. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was trying to think of a great movie she was in that's not called Casper, but um, you got it, you nailed it. Um, oh, Raging Bull, bitch! <laughs> oh, that's right, Raging Bull. Isn't she in some of the Bogdanovich movies? No, that's the other really beautiful lady, Sybil Shepherd. Um, but, but the biggest movie in my world in 1988, and we'll see whether I was the victim of marketing hype, was George Lucas's, and that's not fair to say, Willow, uh, starring Warwick Davis, Val Kilmer, and Joanne Whaley. From the creator of Star Wars, from the director of Cocoon, a world is awakening. With the strength of my great army, can you not find one little child? It's a dangerous world. That's why we need your help. Your journey has just begun. Willow. Yeah, Willow. I was so excited to go see Willow. I had my little color-changing Wendy's cup with me. Oh, Willow. Diana, I didn't get to watch Willow recently, but you watched it in honor of this film. I rewatched it because... I remember not really liking it. Um, and I thought, you know what? It's been probably 28 years since I've seen it. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Let's rewatch it. So I gave it a fair shot. First of all, not streaming anywhere nope. on YouTube for free. Never. <laughs> oh, no. Whoa. See, I, I have right. to imagine Disney acquired this. Yeah, that's surprising to me. Yeah. yeah. It's under Lucasfilm, so it is technically Disney now. It is so weird that this comes out uh, literally at the same time now, 30 years later, as the next George Lucas, Ron Howard, reteaming, which is Solo. Isn't that fucking nuts? Almost 30 years to the day of Solo. That's amazing. And of course, people are asking Ron Howard on the press tour, hey, what about Willow? And he said, like, I could do another Willow. And all the clickbait goes, there's going to be another Willow. Because <laughs> oh, he gives some, like, folksy ass... Oh, yeah, I really like Willow. I would do another one. Oh, Ron, you're too nice. Say something mean. <laughs> Say something mean. He yeah, would. So it's weird that this is what, I mean, he follows up like Cocoon and Splash and these like sort of nice lighter sort of things with a, a fantasy movie that's really grim a lot of the time. Grim and really big. And I, I remember as a kid, I was a little disappointed in it too. And as an adult, it do, I know it doesn't hold up that well. Mm. But it does hold a special place in my heart. And if I really have to be honest about why, it's when marketing grabbed me by the balls and I was just having so much fun for months. In the promotional lead up to Willow, I was just so happy about it. There were advertisements everywhere. There was free comics everywhere. There were all these cool cups and keychains. Like, I was so psyched for Willow. Ugh, but it doesn't hold up, Diana. No, I mean, part of the problem is like the first 30 minutes or so, I just started going... Oh my God, this is, you couldn't get the rights to Lord of the Rings, so you're doing this, huh? Uh, it's like, this is about not hobbits uh -huh. who get, instead of a ring, a baby, and then they meet not Galadriel, who sends them on a quest. And I'm like, oh shit. Then it goes off in a different oh, direction, and I, I liked it more. And they meet up with a roaming Strider. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but he's an asshole instead of being cool. Aragorn, yeah. And, and uh, it's Val Kilmer, though. One of the, I think my introduction to Val Kilmer, because I hadn't seen Top Gun yet, like, I fell in love with Gal Kilmer in this role. I thought he was great. Hmm. Yeah, it took it, it took a little while for me to, like, warm up to him, but the, the middle section of the movie where it's just sort of episodic adventure was like a lot of fun yeah but uh, Re reading some of the reviews managed to distill it to something that even i thought at the time but couldn't articulate that like it's george lucas i think brazenly assuming he can create he can pull mythologies out of his ass 
and he just mm. wants to make another world that he can then spin off into mounds of merchandise for decades to come. And also that the movie's pretty uh, – like really runs from adult to kid-friendly, like just goes back and forth to something horrific oh, and something yeah. you wouldn't show kids and too complicated for kids to understand. And then there's a, like those Kevin Pollock little characters who have no consequence to the plot. They're like no. – they're even more tertiary than like like Pocahontas's dog. Or something like that. They, but they but they have dialogue. But they don't interact with the main characters. They just hang out with them the whole time. I believe you mean Sir Ratcliffe's dog. I'm sorry. I just I can't let that go by. My bad. My bad. I for, I haven't seen Pokemon in a while. But I know what I'm Kevin Pollock. And Jesus, there you are. Right you are, Diane. This full movie is on YouTube. Jesus. Wow. Yep. Well, a couple different versions. Mm-hmm. Some have better sound than others. Yeah. It's just, it's odd because it's like, all right, we got an evil queen. She's straight out of Snow White. She's camping it up. I love her. I love everything about her aesthetic. But it's also really dark and grimy and scary. And then we've got Warwick Davis and the Not Hobbits. You know, we're all played by little people, so that's nice. And Um, Billy Barty in his final role. Yeah, real. And I mean, Tony Cox is in there. I don't think he got a line, though. Yeah. Um, And yeah, Warwick Warwick Davis, like, he gets, uh, you know, he was, what, Wicket, the Ewok, and they just thought, this kid's great. He's fun. The rumor being that Lucas approached him on the set of Return of the Jet. I don't know how, like, because we... The audience didn't get to see Warwick Davis. He's behind Wicket, the, I guess, lead Ewok in Return of the Jedi. But George Lucas fell in love with the dude hmm. and wanted to make a movie about him. He's been in, like, almost every Lucasfilm thing ever since. Yeah, uh, and he's, you know, it's fun. It's nice to finally get him out of makeup and stuff. The, his age issue is kind of weird because, like, he's actually 18, but he's got, like, a 10-year-old kid. Right. He's got several kids, doesn't he? Yeah, that was a little, What? And I, um, I will say for the legacy of this film is that almost every woman my age has had a cat named Sorsha uh, <laughs> at, at some point. Well, there's that. At some point. And those – and okay, so there's no CG. So you got this pretty impressive no, ILM the, stuff. The effects are – I mean all like these compositing effects are fantastic. V- very fantastic. And, and especially the practical effects, those beginning sequences of those dogs that ravage – the little people's village that they I'm put. Sorry, but all I could think about was killer shrews from MSD3K. It's the same thing. It is dogs and masks. And dogs and masks. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, puppies. Those dogs are the only thing that I remember from this movie, actually. And um, like a lot of 1988 things we talk about, mm-hmm. again, I was like two and a half at this point. And so I definitely didn't see this movie when it, in its heyday, certainly. But I did see it later on as like a medium-aged child. Mm-hmm. We'll say 10. Probably on television. Yeah, somewhere around there. Maybe my parents rented it for me or something. And literally those dogs are the only thing that I can remember. They're terrifying. Yeah. And it might be also because I was extremely fearful child. And so I might have <laughs> made my parents turn it off after that. Now I think about it. I kind of, though, like listening to you talk about it and like, the great parts of it, kind of maybe want to watch like a, one of these YouTube versions just skipped through <laughs> to the good parts. Like if mm. someone could advise me, maybe that here's where Willow the good parts are. Back, back, back. Man, Mardigan. Right. There, oh. we're done. Okay. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. There's a guy at work that calls me Mad Mordigan because really? of my last name. It's Mad Mordigan. That's uh, Val Kilmer's character. Gotcha. But it, again, yeah. like uh, I, I think everybody assumed this was going to do Star Wars business, which is odd mm-hmm. because not much else had done Star Wars business that had Lucas's name on it afterwards. Labyrinth was a huge bomb. Howard the Duck, let's not speak of it. Uh, but I think the legacy I remember of this film for like the next two years, like, oh, that kid's got a Willow folder. Hmm. Like, that movie... 
Maybe that movie was great. And like, uh, just I'm thinking about Willow again because of all this minutia that it left in its wake. I had my color changing cup from, I believe, Wendy's. That Cerberus thing they fight at the end. It, okay. It, this is one thing I really got to talk about. Please. When yes. you're talking about the tone, mm-hmm. it's very light, fun, light, fun. And then every now and then something really gross will happen. And this, the two-headed monster they fight at the end, and I know its name. I'll talk about it in a sec. Nerds. Um, it starts out, he's getting attacked by this, like, monkey man. Mm-hmm. And he zaps it with a wand. And it's like, it sets on fire and, like, turns into, like, this pile of red goo that looks like a brain. And it's, like, oh, screaming. Yeah. And then it turns into this giant monster that's, like, yeah. really gross and scary. And I'm like, okay, no, if I this is why I didn't like this as a little kid, because it was like light, fun, light, fun, wackiness, and oh Jesus Christ. Then <laughs> <laughs> you ride that crest into decapitation. <laughs> oh, it's really nasty looking. Mm-hmm. Not like Rancor nasty, where it's like, oh, it's scary, but I can deal. Mm-hmm. This is like extra gross. Now it is called the Ebersisk. Because it has two heads, and it is named after Ebert and Siskel. I meant to find the review. I knew that part. Goddamn. There's also a General Kale named after Pauline Kale. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love this trivia that you're laying on us right now. So we're going after three different film critics, which brings us to something in common with the next blockbuster we'll talk about in 98, which also goes after film critics. Huh. Oh, it does. The same ones. Oh, my God. I'm so very happy with this episode. This episode is going full circle. It's This episode is the... This, you know what? I should have said it at the top. This episode is the king of man really letting my pop culture boner down with every single film. These were, these were, the, these might have been the movies I was looking forward to the most of each respective year, and they, they all oh, let me down. So now we have a theme. Yeah, now we have a theme. Uh, sorry, I had to use another Curse's dick metaphor for last week's episode. Good God, Jesus! I don't like being on here with all overruled by ladies anymore. I do feel like the this film is definitely ripe for some new re merchandising. I mean, talking like I've met so many people who have a fondness for Willow in their hearts that I just don't have. Yeah. I feel like it's ripe for like getting some t-shirts and a hot topic I mean, or the, something like that. I mean, like the poster's amazing. I'm shocked I don't see more of that, to be honest. The poster's amazing. And I, I remember I worked at Capcom briefly. And one of our highest traffic extremes, which we normally wouldn't do, was that they made two Willow games, an arcade game and an NES role-playing game. The arcade mm-hmm. game being pretty okay. And <laughs> once we started streaming, I think people misinterpreted it as a fucking willow announcement in the 2010s <laughs> so the uh. world gravitated to watching it but uh yeah there were two pretty decent games also made out of this um but i i, I don't know i i still have an odd affection for it that i'll never truly shake growing up on the hype train i was a victim of the marketing machine okay fine i i think in the end i'm calling it a noble failure uh yeah it's a good attempt and it's got lots of good stuff in it the james horner score mm-hmm. i heard in so many trailers after this though it's a really good like adventures of robin hood style score but overall just never worked for me and, Sorry, and like lord of the rings it was one of those big sweeping medieval epics that's shot in new zealand and it, like it looks really cool i think visually the movie might hold up a little better than the rest of it yeah oh you diana's that's that's a she didn't want to give me that one even what would we do without New Zealand? <laughs> you wouldn't be able to shoot anything with a man in a dress. That's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nothing. Uh, but that 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 is absolutely the most notable movie. Um, it, I think it did a debut at number one. Die. Uh, yeah. And then it got trounced by everything else that year, up to and including like Crocodile Dundee two. It got worked at the box office. It fell off pretty significantly. So not another Star Wars for George Lucas. 
But 1988, May uh, 18th through the 24th, we got to move into the television. What happened this week? Oh my God, this is a tough one. Lots of significant TV movies. Um, early in the week, we have Promised a Miracle, a CBS movie starring Judge Reinhold and Roseanne Arquette. It's the true story of fundamentalist parents who, on the church's advice, withhold insulin from their diabetic child. Uh, they then blame the boy's death on Satan, expecting the child to be resurrected until they realize their tragic mistake at the trial. Uh, it's very The trailer's very uncomfortable. Between belief... God is going to raise Wesley from the dead. And doubt. Why didn't you call a doctor? There was no need. Between trust... We need someone to tell us what to do now. And fear. What's all this about resurrection? You'll have to ask them about they take their faith. See how far you and Larry are going to go with this thing. They have to try and believe it. Too far. Oh, man. There's oh. cat's looking smoking. Where's she been? I don't, I don't know, know, but are you sure this was made in 1988 <laughs> and not like last week? Because uh, I'm pretty sure I've been seeing some things in the news. But. I don't think we have as many Christian deaths outside of snake bites, but that shit works. You've got to try the hmm. snake holding. Um, well, how many how, do you, how many resurrections are there in the Bible itself? Huh. Uh, like two? two, two. Yes, are we, we confirming all know two? that one. I think. No, I, I was going to guess because she Catholic phrased it like school. that more than one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's only two that I can think of. So why do you think your kid's going to get to be the third <laughs> after two thousand years? Your kid's not that great, lady. And I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sure he's very nice, very friendly, polite. I, <laughs> I want to talk more about this film, but I just have to guess it's ripped from the headlines, and mm. that story is probably more interesting than whatever this this fictional account is. Um, but yeah, lots of TV movies. Uh, maybe Dino's a little more about this one. Baby M on May twenty second, nineteen eighty eight. These are like going hand in hand together because mm -hmm. they're about legal battles involving children. Baby M is based on a true story of a surrogacy lawsuit that really? became a, yeah. a big part of legal whatever's precedent stuff. It, was, um, it wasn't the Muppet Babies of Fritz Lang's M. <laughs> the good film joke. I knew it'd have her. <laughs> oh, God. Uh. Give me a minute. I'm dealing with this. <laughs> Baby Peter Laurie child murder. Great. <laughs> ah, okay. No. Uh, it, yeah, it's a surrogacy lawsuit. A, uh, a couple hires a woman to uh, carry their child but um, it's not gestational surrogacy, it's uh, maternal surrogacy. So they artificially inseminate her with the father's sperm, and then she has a baby, but then she doesn't want to give it up. But she has this contract, so it becomes, oh, what do we do? I mean, she, technically she's the baby's mother, but she already signed the rights away, so... What do we do? She's trying to sell her baby. Uh, the second the baby is conceived, it's no longer your body, ladies. That's, I always forget that. I'm always, I was trying to enrage you. I'm I so don't, glad there's so many people that. to remind me of that. <laughs> right. Sorry, everybody. I really brought it down with that statement. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm just an apartment building for other people. <laughs> Um, but yes, can we move on to the, uh, why would I make a bad joke and then want to move on to the boy movie? Um, we, well, we have two of the best TV movie trailers that they immediately took me back to like, it's Sunday night. I got my jammies on and my chocolate milk and some crazy <laughs> garbage is coming on. It's made me so happy. Oh, that's great. That's great. Especially cause this, this is when I, I was into comics and didn't know that character I really love has a TV show had no idea that The Incredible Hulk had a 70s television series. But throughout the world, it was kind of kicking ass in syndication, despite only lasting for a handful of seasons. 
But The Incredible Hulk Returns is a TV movie that premieres this week starring Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno, and Eric Kramer as a character you're probably familiar with. When David Banner met Maggie Shaw, it was the love they'd both been looking for. But she didn't know his secret. She didn't know that his danger would become her danger. Their life together was threatened. David Banner had been pushed too far. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Mean and green, and after six years, the Hulk will face his greatest challenge ever. Because this time, he's fighting for love. Bill Bigby and Lou Ferrigno are the Incredible Hulk. If the Incredible Hulk returns, and I don't even mention it, it's so good. <laughs> he's fighting for love, and that makes him angry. Ah, love. And they keep committing those like sacrileges of like fucking with the characters' names. I think they thought Bruce was too gay, so they don't call him Bruce Banner. What? Change his name to. Yeah. I'm not kidding. It changes his name yeah. to David Banner. There's no Betsy, Betsy Ross in there. But what there is is a character named Donald Kramer and Thor. Even oh, though, yeah. either they're technically one person, but it's <laughs> the first ever in the world live action appearance of a well, maybe not Thor, but the first ever time that a Marvel series crossed over, oh. uh, like happens here. Huh. Because, I mean, Thor and, and Hulk battle and shit, and they're part of the Avengers since the 60s, but that, that didn't really translate to TV shows. You didn't get, you never got Superwoman and fucking Wonder Woman show. That never happened. Mm. Uh, but I think it was, they were trying to make a backdoor pilot for a Thor show. Didn't really work, but it, it yeah. proved very successful. The show was canceled for a long time, but this is six years after the show was canceled. Gets a TV movie, and then it gets two more including Trial of the Incredible Hulk, and they keep introducing all these new Marvel characters. And it was really interesting to watch these as a kid because unlike a lot of other TV movies, these definitely had VHSs in the stores mm. that you could rent because mm-hmm. they were very popular with little boys. Uh, and it's the Hulk. The Hulk will always be popular with little boys. Can I ask what may be a stupid question? No, go for it. Why didn't they just let Lou Frigno play both? Um, because he's a terrible actor. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sounds kind of like this. Okay. Well, um, he's he's like basically deaf. Okay. Um, I, I did know about and, the deafness. I just wasn't sure if it was that severe. Like, what well, seems it, kind well, of unfair. But what's the difference between? I mean, he's got to Hulk out. He's got to get bigger. Right. So yeah, it's he's just little Bill Bixby. So they have to get like a oh, little guy, oh. so it makes him seem really big. See, I told you it was a stupid question. <laughs> it's not a stupid question. <laughs> now, why didn't Lou Ferrigno play Thor? Yeah, he would have been a great Thor. Especially as, especially because he doesn't have to talk that much. But, uh, but yeah, if you've ever seen that, like somebody made a '70s fake Avengers trailer like a long time ago, this is where they get that footage of Thor gotcha. from this Incredible Hulk movie. I just am so unacquainted with, uh, I think, comic book lore Boo. and whatnot. Sorry, guys, <laughs> that I'm just used to the Avengers movies and the Hulk movies where they just CGI whoever's face mm-hmm. onto a giant Hulk oh, body. Would, you, so it didn't uh, even occur to me that we need two different bodies. You would, you would love this because this Thor is Thor is the alter ego of a normal guy named Donald. Uh, and, they, and Marvel got rid of that a long time ago. Gotcha. They kind of go back and forth. I think this movie makes them his servant, so they're technically two separate entities. Uh, it's, very, it's very strange. Okay. Uh, but I'll move on from this, uh, and we can go into the other TV movie that I'd never heard of. But, Diana, you say there this is significant, Nightmare at Bitter Creek. It's only significant because I love the trailer so much. And it's got Lindsay Wagner and Tom Skerritt. Lindsay Wagner, who we had, what, two weeks ago in another TV movie. Yeah. And I felt really bad, like, right after I said it, saying, I don't know what she's famous for. She was Bionic Woman, stupid. Duh. I have an autographed picture of her. I love Bionic Woman. Huh. Uh, but Nightmare Bitter Creek, it aired May 24th. Let's hear a little bit of this wonderful 80s trailer. Tonight, a pleasant afternoon's ride turns into a terror-stricken journey to hell. Oh, Who will no. survive Nightmare at Bitter Creek tonight? 
this that is hands down the best 10 seconds you can see please look that up on youtube so there's a woman staring at the camera pulling her hair out and screaming as the camera spins that was amazing well i'm tuning in for whatever that was <laughs> nightmare at bitter creek i do love tom scarrett yeah me too what, what, what would he be the most famous for Top Gun. Top Gun. I know he is. Picket Fences. Picket Fences. Yay. Right. Steel Magnolias. All right, Sarah. Decent pulls all around. I'm distracting everyone. Did I make up for Lou Ferrigno? <laughs> <laughs> my terrible Lou Ferrigno I hope, I hope my, knowledge. Uh, I, every year, I told this story elsewhere, so sorry if I'm repeating myself. There was a website called Hollywood is Calling, and it was like one of the first websites that like even the local news was reporting about because for 20 bucks, you could get like... Uh, Mr. Belding to like call your friend and wish them a happy birthday <gasps> for four seconds. And um, the Barbie twins could call your mom and wish them a happy birthday. Uh, and of course, Lou Ferrigno was on there. So every uh, year after I moved, I just used this site. I'm not shipping anything, but you're going to get a call from Lou Ferrigno with happy birthday, Justin. This is Woo Ferrigno. I'm using too much Andre the Giant impression yeah. on, on Lou Ferrigno. It's not fair. <laughs> you know they I'm have not that making fun still. of a deaf person. You can still do that. Man, it's really? called Cameo. No shit, really? Yeah, a lot of... I know about this because Real Housewives use mm-hmm. it a lot to make extra money. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm it's looking into pretty, this. Yeah. You're all getting terrible kind of, presents from I've here I've never now. looked in to see who's like on the list that you can choose from, but uh, <laughs> it's out there. But that wraps it up for television. Not a lot of games going on, but uh, 1988, May 18th to the 24th, we got plenty of music. Anything for you by Gloria Stefan and the Miami Sound Machine is still number one, but we also have new releases. Uh, Long Cold Winter by Cinderella, uh, Out of Order by Rod Stewart, OU812 by Van Halen, Our Beloved Revolutionary (laughs) Sweetheart by Casper Van Beethoven, uh, and Golden Throats Volume 1, uh, which featured the song stylings of people with no business singing, such as Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner, and Jack Webb from Dragnet. Hmm. Oh, man. I had this on tape, and this was just... I. Everyone at some point I was sitting everyone down. It's like, all right, we're listening to this. We're doing we got it. Leonard Nimoy singing Proudberry or Jack Webb reading Jack Webb reading the lyrics to try a little tenderness. Uh, it's so God. bizarre. Try a little tenderness. Ten- wow, that's insane. When she gets weary. And young girls do get weary. So he was he doing that before Shatner? No, no, Shatner had already been doing that. He's done a Rocket Man performance already. Um, but also we have Up Your Alley by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, which includes I Hate Myself for Loving You. We will close out with that, and we will close out 1988 with that. But please stay right there, people, because we've got a lot to talk about. May 18th to the 24th in 1998, which we'll be into in just a second. Stay there.
Job Drop and Bust a Wheelie in that four-wheeler that's <laughs> coming into 1998, May 18th to the 24th with the Rough Riders Anthem by DMX off his major label debut, It's Dark and Hell is Hot. Uh, I love this song. DMX like ruled our world um, at this time, man. DMX was awesome. Uh, we got new releases in 1998. As far as music goes, Smoke Fest Underground by Snoop Doggy Dog, Rufus Wainwright's self-titled debut, Ophelia, and Ophelia by Natalie Merchant, How I Feel by Terry Clark, and uh, Always Never the Same by Kansas. Too Close by Nexus still number one. The Rufus Wainwright (laughs) self-titled is excellent. Is it? Yeah, it's real Mm. good. Yeah. I can't believe it. I just read it as it was put down the dock. I just said Snoop Doggy Dog, which is like the whitest way you can pronounce (laughs) his name. That's uh, what it was back then. He, it was listed as Snoop Doggy Dog. Yeah. He's Snoop Lion, and we all know it because we follow his career. The only whiter <laughs> way to do it is to say, that's Snoop Dogg or whatever he's calling himself these days. I, I remember I was, at, I was at an assembly in middle school, and it was Black History Month, and like the black vice principal is talking about famous people in black history and like everyone, Harriet Tubman, and no one's saying anything. And she starts getting the like, and Icy Cube. And then she and then she just gets into and of course and this is like right after Doggy Style dropped everyone's favorite Snoopy Dog Snoop <laughs> and, and, and the whole crowd like like was ready to cheer anyway so did anyway for, for Snoopy Dog Snoopy Dog Snoop uh, <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, but that was uh that was 1994 for me. We're talking about 1998, May 18th through the 24th. Have a little bit of news to bring us into the decade. Um, I'm not going to pronou- bother pronouncing this, Diana. So Harto, it's pron- yes, it's pronounced how it's spelled. So yeah, so Harto finally resigns as president of Indonesia after 32 years of being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sad to say I don't know anything about this guy. It's, it's in, in, Indonesia mm. is one of those countries, like so so many other countries, usually post-colonial countries, where the history is going back and forth between strong men and then they have coups and then they have another strong man and then there's chaos and then there's a strong man that stops the chaos. <laughs> so Soharto's, uh, yeah, he instituted one of those fun military junta style governments, which, wow. you know, did a couple good things, but also like killed a lot of people that we liked that because they were killing communists. And also he may have personally appropriated something like $15 billion from the country. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Okay. Well, um, we might have talked about it already in April, but also during this week, the Good Friday Agreement was accepted by referendum in Ireland. Yay. It's like kind of a big deal. I mean, you'll have to explain to the audience, not me, but the audience <laughs> I know why. Know. I know. I know. Yeah. I know, well, I know. this is like a referendum that was put out to accept this Good Friday Agreement, which basically kind of brought some lasting peace to the the area that was obviously going through their troubles for a very long time. Oh, the Ireland folks. Yes. Yeah. Basically Mm -hmm. made people of the country basically saying, we want to be unified, Mm -hmm. which is like kind of a big deal. And also gave uh, citizens of Ireland the option to have either British citizenship and or Irish citizenship. No, I said that. This is Northern Ireland, not Republic of Ireland. Right. Yeah. Um, I saw you two in concert a couple weeks ago. I saw that dude. And they were fucking killing it, by the way. I can't believe they've been doing this shit for 40 years. But there's a point where, like, they do Sunday Bloody Sunday and they're doing stuff about, like, Northern Ireland. And, like, there was this horrible bombing and no one's ever been brought to justice. And it legit made me nostalgic for the troubles. I'm like, this seems so simple compared to the crap we deal with now. Yeah. 
It was. It's just the, just white people fighting. I miss <laughs> white people fighting. It was. It was very vague. Um, very vague memory is when the news reports from Ireland were like what we see now in the Middle East. That like fighting erupted today in <laughs> in Dublin. Like what? Yeah. Jesus Christ! Yeah. It, it's such a vague memory. And I, the only thing that it, this it's crystallizes it for me is one of my favorite movies ever. If you love Who Framed Roger Rabbit as much as I do, follow Bob Hoskins in Long Good Friday because that's yeah. like. That's like all tied up in that movie. That's how it opens. Oh, interesting. Uh, it was yeah. one of those bombings. It's, it's the same sectarian shit, but it's just, you know, this time with a bunch of goyasha pale people. <laughs> <laughs> Get him, die. Get him. Well, and slightly more fun news, though. Also on the 22nd, a federal judge ruled that the Secret Service agents can be compelled to testify uh, before a grand jury against Bill Clinton. Oh, Ooh. so your Secret Service agents can testify against you. Apparently. <laughs> Good. This could get interesting. All right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'll take it. Uh, and Yeah, that'll have to bring it up because the first movie Diana put on this list was The Idiots by <laughs> Lars von Trier. Uh, <laughs> uh, Lars von Trier is such a strange filmmaker, but mm-hmm. this is like him fucking with people. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really trying to piss off everyone as bad as much as he fucking can. It's about people who pretend to be developmentally disabled, and I think there's some unsimulated sex in it. And he's a strange person, and I would not want to share a car ride with him. <laughs> I feel like unsimulated sex is kind of his deal, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. When you're getting fucked by a tree, doesn't that happen in one of his movies? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. There's nothing happened. simulated about that. Yeah. <laughs> just something we all sort of want to see. Ant porn. Uh. Um, speak. <laughs> If I may do my best, Samantha, speaking of sex, <laughs> um, a movie I really, really like, The Opposite of Sex, uh, starring Christina Ricci, Martin Donovan, Lucy, uh, Lisa Kudrow, and Lyle Lovett. If you're one of those people who don't like movies where some person you can't see talks the whole time, then you're out of luck. Things get very complicated here very quick. My name is Dee Dee Truett. I don't have a heart of gold, and I don't grow one later. You're not, Bill. No, I'm Matt. Bill's at school. Who are you? Boyfriend. Can I come in? I'm a real relation. You've never slept with a girl. That's just not for me. How would you know if you've never tried it? I mean, he knew what to do with it, believe me. Everything was going great until she showed up. I knew you were trouble. This is your brother here. You're gay, you jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Did I say Lisa Kutcher was in this movie? She's so good. I think this is a really good example of like, I don't know, kind of my favorite kind of 90s movies they'll never make again. Yeah. This weird little, uh, I don't know, it's not a sex comedy. It's not quite a, uh, a it's got a semi-noir twist to it. A lot of people sleeping with a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's just super fucking fun, man. I really like this. Uh, yeah, had- it's it's fun. I I love this this period, especially Christina Ricci, I think is doing a fantastic job in this mm-hmm. because she's like, I am not a child anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I am going to be like the most horrible person. She's like, she's a pregnant teenager. She's like, she hits people. She's tricking people <laughs> into thinking they're baby daddy. She's seducing her, her brother's boyfriend. Uh, she's just awful. Yep. Whipping her boobs out whenever she feels like it. It's like she she has like no morals whatsoever. That sort of uh bucking a convention mm-hmm. that certain uh, child stars go through. They doesn't always break well, but this worked really well for her, I feel like. Yeah. 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 Sometimes it breaks really bad and you're like, "What are you doing?" But I think it was that kind <laughs> of like you wouldn't expect Wednesday Adams to be in a movie like this. Right. And uh, Christina Ricci's just been with us this entire time and I uh, I don't know. I I fell in love with her as Wednesday Adams. I'll never not have a crush on Christina Ricci. It's mm. not going to happen. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. 
I've seen Adam's Family Values, I don't know how many times, and so she should have gotten a freaking Oscar for that. That movie is so fucking great. I, I saw I saw the the Adam's Family pinball machine this weekend, and I played it, and like, I'm going to go home and watch the Adam's Family Values again. Ugh. Did you activate where Thing has you, like, grabs the ball? <laughs> I wish. Thing does come out and grab the ball. It's so hard to do. Um, man, sorry. Did we, there's so many. There's so many notable movies this week. Um, Not real. Well, I mean, there's only three movies, but like they're all worth talking about. They're all but, really you know, good. Of Sex is is yeah one of those little kind of quiet movies that you somehow stumble upon and go, oh shit, that was fun. Why hadn't I never heard of this? Yeah, yeah. it's it definitely can file that ca- under that category of straight to Showtime. I mean, it, it did indie circuits, but like it, most people discovered it way later. I like this film, a major Universal property starring Johnny Depp and Benicio del Toro. That feels weird to say because neither of them were huge <laughs> bankable people at this point. Yeah. Um, neither. Well, Terry Gilliam won't be ever again. Uh, but adapting. Uh, Hunter Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas for the screen. Uh, that comes out this week. Universal Pictures presents the story that defined a generation. Johnny Depp. Benicio Del Toro. Let's get down to brass tacks here. How much for the eight? Fear and Loathing. In Las Vegas, a Terry Gilliam film. All right, now I've got to go. Right. Man, I love this movie so much, and I don't hate the Pirates movies, but I, I resent children for not getting with the, the impression is Hunter Thompson with an accent. That's all Jack Sparrow is. No, with, no, he's, he's Keith Richards, man. He's yeah, Keith. Yeah, I think he's more Keith than... He's Hunter. totally cave. No, there's the spastic movements though. Like that's a Hunter Thompson thing. But either way, it's just like it's it is such a they are both so much fun characters to see in a film. Uh what's his what's his lawyer's name? Rahul? Oh huh? um, uh, no, he's Raul Duke. Dr. Gonzo. Yeah, Dr. Gonzo. That this movie, man, I went I remember I went it took a while to buy acid back in the nineties. <laughs> and I bought acid <laughs> and I dropped it that night and I'm like, you know, if this is still kicking when the sun comes up, I'm gonna go see Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And saw it and just fell asleep, and then it took me years later to rediscover it. This movie is so much fun, so much fun. I, I, I mean, I love the book. I had read the book before. I read it in journalism school, yo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very dubious about making a movie out of this. Like, I think that it's just going to look like it's a wacky weekend full of drugs. Don't you want to do drugs too? Woo, we're wacky. Look how wacky we are. Even with Terry Gilliam directing, I was like, you're you're not going to get the feeling of sadness that's actually underneath this all that the the optimism of the 60s has curdled into the shittiness of the 70s and there's kind of no hope and everyone's just sort of lost and it just sort of sucks where the wave broke and came back exactly and they fucking got that there's like there's like yeah there's a sequence in the movie where he's at the club that is just like i think that sort of encapsulates the spirit of the book it's only like a couple minutes but they bother to do it in the film like have him talk about this yeah yeah and there's some scenes where like oh it it starts out funny like they're in a diner with um shoot who is it ellen barkin Mm -hmm. and like it starts out funny and it gets not funny and you're Mm -hmm. like oh it's scary it gets scary at points they're kind of this isn't fun it's a very fine line between fun with drugs and terrifying people with drugs and then terrifying yourself and trying to kill yourself by throwing a radio into a bathtub right when white (laughs) rabbit gets really good that's great and then yeah most of the movie is uh two men in the depths of an ether binge 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I really There's nothing more depraved. I need to uh, revisit this one definitely. I remember when I first saw it; it was like in the early aughts, mm. and Terry Gilliam films make me feel very strange. I think that's true for most me people too. because I I recognize them for what they are and how beautiful they are, and they give me so much anxiety that I have a really hard time thinking about revisiting them. True, even when I really want to. This like is this one of those, one. those movies that like it builds to almost nothing. Yeah, because not even much mm. of a story here. Yeah. No, it's, just, it's just a slice of a weekend for these idiots. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse, though, to be honest. I think it's it's still a really fun watch. Once you yeah. know that and you watch the movie okay. and you can just enjoy it, yeah. um, you can enjoy Tobey Maguire in the weirdest wig I've ever seen him in. Ooh. Um, <laughs> this, the soundtrack on this is so freaking good. Yeah. And the fact that it opens with one of my favorite Big Brother on the Holding Company deep tracks. Mm-hmm. Just that, like, pretty much the movie starts with this, like, obscure Janis Joplin song. And I was like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it ends with the hackiest Rolling Stones song of all time, yeah. Jumpin' Jack Flash. Good song. Yeah. Just heard it too many times. Yeah. But I, I really like this movie. And I think this is, this is Gilliam's, like, last major studio movie. 12 Monkeys is gone. Yeah. This is the, the drying up the Universal yeah. contract. Mm. I, I want to say so. I have this, uh, I have Criterion on this one. Oh, yeah, with the Stedman and- cover. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's it's got uh, a documentary on it, which is really worth watching. Uh, I actually watched it right after Hunter Thompson died mm-hmm. because it has some of the footage from his funeral. I must have watched it a little while afterwards because it has a, yeah, or no, it's got a documentary talking about what he wants at his funeral. Mm-hmm. And then later, that's exactly what happened. They built a giant cannon uh, shaped like uh, the Gonzo logo and they fired his ashes out of it. Yeah, <laughs> I think there is a really good documentary about that specifically, though. On really? Netflix? I saw it many years ago, yeah. so it may not still be on Netflix, but I think it's just, is it just called Gonzo, I think? Yeah, we actually, I think huh. we have that coming up in 2008 pretty oh. soon. Oop. Okay. Um, yeah, Spoiler it's alert. a really good documentary. We'll talk about it then. And it's, it's the superior. A lot of good extras on Criterion. And like the backstory on this was weird where it's like Terry Gilliam was brought in after Alex Cox walked, the guy who made Repo Man. Again, yeah. And I believe they published a separate screenplay for that version. Mm-hmm. That oh, I yeah. might have around here somewhere. Oh man, and uh, and it, it like is in an alternate universe. I want to see that version too. Totally, and, because this is not a very Terry Gilliam movie. Outside of like, Mm-mm. he tosses on a fish eye lens occasionally and gets some puppetry out there, but like you, you can tell he wasn't the first choice. It's it's an interesting choice for a director. Um, but let's we can all at least agree it's through. Sorry, Bill Murray fans, it is the superior Hunter Thompson movie. There, yes. <laughs> fuck you, where the buffalo roam. Um, but oh, we. Speaking of giant lizards, <laughs> it's a good trend. I should I should have done that because Christina Ricci has a cameo in Fear and Loathing. Yeah, I was gonna All ask. Right. Is that her? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. It was. And we have giant lizards in the bar sequence. Uh, mm-hmm. Fear and Loathing, mm-hmm. and the giant lizard would uh, kick the shit out of all these movies at the box office this week. Circles, man. Oof. Uh, Roland Emmerich's <laughs> Godzilla, baby. <laughs> Yikes! This movie is. Fucking terrible. God, 1998's Godzilla. We have an entire commentary for it. You can get it by coming, becoming a patron at patreon.com slash lasertime or pick it up uh, a la carte on lasertime.bandcamp. But uh, Brett, our resident Godzilla expert, he is, it's just, it's a very simple thing in that like the America clearly doesn't remember how to make a monster movie. They made a disaster <laughs> movie. Oh, and like uh-huh, Godzilla's uh-huh. rarely a terror. He, like he doesn't really do anything. He just causes things in the city to do things that then endanger people. Release water, make a boat sink. 
lay eggs because Godzilla's a girl now and what? gives yeah in Madison Square Garden. It, it is Yeah, because we want to have a raptor sequence. Yep. Ah yep. I see, I see. And the effects don't hold up. Um you got two Simpsons cast members doing their best in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> and Harry Shear, also starring Matthew Broderick, Jean Renault, fresh off the professional, not fresh. Uh yep. and um Maria Patillo. Um yep. but yeah this movie is fucking awful. Uh, I okay first of all I thought it was very interesting I tried to find a trailer would it be like a narrator talking or Matthew Broderick talking every trailer is just destruction there's like never Mm. any dialogue yeah the first trailer was just his head coming towards a boat dock and um Actually, the teaser trailer is the one that I remembered the most, which is oh, uh, foot. a museum and talking about, oh, look, here's a dinosaur. And then the giant footsteps on it. It's like, yeah, we're better than Jurassic Park, bitches. Right. <laughs> we're better than Jurassic Park. We have Fuck the director yourself. of Independence Day. There's no way this can fail. Taco Bell's got our back. Um, and, <laughs> and remember, this is also one of the first things I can remember, speaking of marketing hype. they did. You're right, Di. They didn't have a true trailer. They had that teaser of just the foot. They had... The opening sequence of Godzilla's head coming towards the boat dock, knocking the fishermen off. And they didn't reveal what Godzilla looked like, but kind of told people, this is not going to look like the Godzilla you know. And it doesn't. It looks like a big, slim lizard. And I'm happy to report, if you've seen one of the last Godzilla movies, Final Wars, the real Godzilla kicks the shit out of this version a few years later. Like, beats him up uh, and got the last Godzilla movie, air quotes, it's like the third show in a row I get to mention Shin Godzilla. Go see that movie. That movie's amazing. It's really yeah. good. So yeah, I know a lot of people, they like to call this one Gino because it's Godzilla in name only, <laughs> which I think is completely fair. I, this, this movie sucks. Um, it really does. Everything, everything about this movie sucks. Jean Reno is criminally underused. Yep. Most of it makes no sense. Like, oh, he starts in the Pacific. Why does he go to New York? Why is that his first stop? Yep. The, how did he get he swim all the way around? Did he go through the <laughs> canal? I don't think he'd fit in the canal. How is he hiding in the East River? The East River's like 50 feet deep. What? <laughs> and then I have to point this out because my brother pointed this out a couple of years ago and I, it was like the mind blown. We know what a disaster in New York looks like now. Yep. And Godzilla is like at 58th Street and down at like 22nd Street, people are still going to work and people are like, (laughs) businesses are open. Yes. Yes. They can go into a Dwayne Reed and there's a cashier there. Yeah. Not even just with 9-11, like when there was that big power outage in New York, everyone goes home. Yeah. You do not keep moving when there is a catastrophe going on. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you? Also, the power should be out anyways. It's just, it's so stupid. It, it's remarkably <laughs> it's so stupid. And it's, it's, it feels, I don't know, it feels pat to call a Roland Emmerich movie stupid, but it's exceptionally uh, dumb in a, an exceptionally bad Godzilla film. Is it, it's dumb even for him. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not fun. Mm-mm. I mean, that's kind of the point it's of like Roland Emmerich. It's three hours Emmerich. long. It's sh- if it's dumb, it, it should be fun. Mm. And when it's not, then it's just the And worst. can I just say one more time, if you haven't seen Shin Godzilla, it is so much fun. A new kind of Godzilla doesn't look anything like himself. I can't spoil anything else. And it's this scathing indictment on bureaucracy and the approach to the Japanese tsunami disaster. Not unlike the original Godzilla being a catharsis on nuclear war. I literally picked that up in Cap City Video Lounge this mm-hmm. weekend and was like, this is the one that Andy Stone stopped talking about. It's, it's so we weird. need to watch like, this. I, I, th- I want to combine it with some kind of drug, but maybe not weed. Because mm. I don't know which one. Because I don't. What's do better than else. weed and bureaucracy, right? 
<laughs> but it's funny when you... Ah, anyway. Anyway, but this movie is terrible. We've watched it. We have yeah. a commentary for it. Patreon.com slash laser It does have a weird soundtrack, though, by the way. Yes! Okay, uh, so... Yeah. I fucked up last week because we were talking about David Duchovny hosting SNL. I grabbed the clip from his first appearance. That was wrong, but it was because it had... Um, oh, God. Uh, Robert Plant and... Um, what's his name? Puff Daddy and Jimmy Page, you mean? Puff Daddy and Jimmy yes, Page. That's yeah. that's what it had. That's yeah. the, They were the musical hosts doing All About the Benjamins, which is what you always wanted from a member of Led Zeppelin. Of course. But it also has <laughs> Jamiroquai, mm-hmm. uh, Rage Against the Machine, Air by Ben Folds 5. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> and a pretty not bad cover of Heroes by the Wallflowers. It is not a bad cover. I've heard far worse covers in the wake of David Bowie's death. Yeah. Um, but can I play just for one second the Green Day version of Brain Stew? Okay. I insist, they got a song, I insist that you do. They got a song from a Green Day album, and it's a pre-existing song everybody already had, but now the song is featuring Godzilla. Uh, <laughs> okay. And it's it's just ridiculous. This is the- wait, wait, wait. I have a question. Yeah. Is Godzilla on base? No. <laughs> Technically, yes. Uh, okay. But this is known as Brain Stew 98 uh, or Brain Stew featuring Godzilla. <laughs> Bye, Green. Here you go. Here you go. I've never seen anything like that. It is technically the same song you already have, but they just threw Godzilla roaring every nine seconds over that the That is track. crazy. <laughs> we should do that to all songs. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, yes wow. we should have like an all like like Frank Sinatra album for the next Black Panther movie with T'Challa talking in the middle of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be great. But that that is it for the movies. I can't think of any movie bigger of this whole year than Godzilla. This was supposed to be the biggest movie of 98. I think it yeah. might have panned out. And uh, I think we had another month or so, and then we can have the final, the 98 verses of which is the dumber movie, Godzilla or Armageddon. Mm. That's uh, a tough call. Fuck. Tough call. Is, I would guess Armageddon's more fun to watch. Godzilla's really bad. It's it's just mm. really bad. I'm, and you know what? I'm not going to do it. Answer in the comments, 302010.net. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with this battle. Nothing. <laughs> you wash your hands of it. Nothing. And we did that. We did that for a commentary pack. The worst versions of your favorite things. Ooh. Um, and I, I'm trying to remember what I chose. I know we we did like the worst Wolverine movie, uh, but Godzilla's the. This is this is the worst Godzilla movie. And if you've seen Godzilla movies, that is saying a lot because some of those movies, <laughs> some of those movies are just wrestling matches with a budget. <laughs> Uh, yeah. but <laughs> at least we got we got an American Godzilla do over that was pretty good. It so was, not when you watch it a second time, it's really boring. It's, I have problems with it, but mm-hmm. I mean, compared to this, holy shit! No, it's all right. It's all right. And that that one's still going uh, miraculously. I can't believe it. Like that's still part of this trilogy where he's going to meet King Kong eventually. Who is the true my favorite monster, King Kong? Um, nineteen ninety eight TV. Let's get there because this is it's kind of stacked because we're. This isn't totally like the monoculture of 1988, but we do have a ton of finales for the biggest shows uh, occurring this week, including probably the biggest, which happens early in the week, May 18th. Murphy Brown's Never Can Say Goodbye. We'll talk more about Murphy Brown in a second. I don't know the show that well, having being a one TV household and hating anything that wasn't a cartoon. I remember always being mad with my mother for putting on Murphy Brown. Didn't know its significance, um, but in this episode, I believe she... Fu- Diana, you said she has... A revolving door of receptionist? Yeah. So Bette yeah, Midler. That's yeah. one of the many gags. Yeah, it's like 
you know, network stars or whatever would come in. Yeah. Kramer was at one point. Yes. Pee Wee Herman. I think uh, Lily Tomlin, even though she got elevated to like series regular, but she fires Bette Midler in the finale. Ah. Uh, It's a two-parter. But she also goes under the knife because she's survived cancer, apparently, in the show. I, again, didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, and now gets to do the ultimate interview because Murphy Brown works on a, uh, what, FYI, a new show? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, like a, a news, kind of like a 60 Minutes, but with interviews, so like live interviews. Yeah. After going under the knife uh, for a cancer remission scare, she gets to do her ultimate interview with God. Ah, and uh, okay. and it's, it's, it's sad because... <laughs> It's a guest star that, like, you can see the, you can hear the audience pick up on who it is, but it's lost on everybody now. How significant the guest star of who who would play God in Mur- in the season ten finale of Murphy Brown, one of the most popular shows of all time. It should be anybody you can name. But <laughs> I, I can make. I got a couple of guesses, mostly journalism related guesses. That that would have been good. I think Walter Cronkite appears in the finale. Yeah, that um, would have been my guess. No, uh, you'll never get it from the voice. <laughs> This evening we'll be having a <clears throat> hello i'm murphy brown and this evening we'll be having a conversation with god <laughs> welcome god <laughs> now, some people have said that god works in mysterious ways do our actions in life make a difference or is our future already planned out for us your life is a series of choices how you choose determines where you end up oh really Gee, I don't remember choosing to have cancer. With all due respect, why the hell did you give it to me? I mean, heck, hell, oh, hell. It's not bad, but it's it's Alan King. Oh, my gosh. Alan King. and is he? That's an odd choice. If you remember, I only know him from, like, the first couple of Comedy Central's Fire Club, Fire, Friars Club Rose. Yeah, because I mean, he's, he's an old school comedian. He's an old school comedian, kind of the head friar, and he's been dead for at least, shit, since 2004. But he was he was famous in comedy circles, and you hear like a smattering of applause when they see him for the first time. Because some people recognize him and some don't, but I'm guessing somebody on the production staff respected them to that extent. Um, but it's Murphy Brown closing out, which I think is more significant than I truly understand. I think we were on an episode of Talking Simpsons, I got to the bottom of it. Whereas mm. long-running sitcoms mostly got syndication on network television, like Lifetime scooped up Murphy Brown, meaning mm. I didn't see Murphy Brown. Yeah, I haven't seen Murphy Brown. Right. So, like, I think if that was running on television next to Full House or something like that, and I think yeah. it's a more adult show anyway, it yeah, would be a modern a classic. for adults. You know, you were tiny kids or whatever mm-hmm. back in the day, but... Uh, I mean, this ran through like while I was in high school, mm-hmm. so I was I was mature enough for it because I'm a fancy pants. <laughs> and this was one of my favorite shows. I loved this show mm-hmm. because I mean, it's a sitcom. It's technically a workplace sitcom about a news station. Okay, great. So it's like Mario Tyler Moore. Well, not really, because Murphy Brown, played by Candace Bergen, is kind of a giant bitch. And <laughs> embraces that. Like she is notorious for being like all about her work. A, a uh, you know, former alcoholic, really cares about journalism, known for asking tough questions, you know, not not worried about being liked, wanting to do the job well and uh, taking cruel, petty revenge on people. Like when she gets she gets pissed off at someone and like steals their uh, steals her steering wheel. And it's like, I was going to put it in my collection next to Spiro Agnews. <laughs> yeah. And there's lots of like politics jokes from around the time, which is why that's another one they're talking about bringing it back. 
Yeah. Yeah. Why though? Where is it? Like, I it's not on Netflix or anything, right? No. Yeah, I think that's that's hurt its legacy too. But because everyone I know who why? watches it reveres it like something like on a Seinfeld level. Yeah. And it ran for even longer than that show. It did. sounds like so in my wheelhouse. <clears throat> I think it does too. I can't even. But like, I've. I mean, I remember when it was on, and I think my parents probably watched mm-hmm. it. Um. But yeah, I'm. I'm perplexed as to why i can't find it on anything yeah. streaming we when we researched it i only researched it because we were talking about it on talking simpsons in the episode where selma sings you make me feel to jub jub which was referencing <laughs> murphy brown having a child with no husband which was i remember in, that being in, in the a, news like that was in a, a more quaint deal. world was yeah. like something they had to fight to show the idea that this woman could have a baby without a man she's married to but that was what murphy brown was sort of known for yeah a lot of uh, feminist issues that yeah, I'm sure oh, you yeah. could get behind. I feel like Dan Quayle had a real problem with that. I think he did. Yeah. yeah. Did he? He called yeah. out Murphy Brown specifically? Oh, yeah. He had a real problem oh, with that. Right? Oh, my God. Yeah. What a nerd. And meanwhile, now our president calls <laughs> the primetime sitcom stars. Say, you're, well, you're welcome, Roseanne. That's a bad oh. Trump, but... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Murphy Brown is getting the Roseanne treatment. It is coming back. Um, nice. And I think I think from what I've seen, and, and nothing too recently, but there's no reason it shouldn't work very well, hmm. especially with, with its tone. And, it should work better now. Yes. Yeah. I mean, politics was, com- in comparison, politics back then, pretty boring. Yeah. I mean, you got Clinton and you got with the Republican Revolution, but the stuff they were fighting over then is still, it, it looks so small. Whitewater, who can remember? To like, hey, maybe we should destroy <laughs> Syria. <laughs> I'm not laughing at destroying Syria. Let me put that on the record. Uh, and don't get too excited on May 19th because uh, Mad About You, the finale, is not the finale. <laughs> uh, it's the finale of the eighth season, uh, not to be confused with the finale of the fourth season, the part one and two, also called the finale. The finale will not be the title for the finale of Mad About You. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I was like, oh, shit, it's the last episode of Mad About You. I got to see what this is about. It is nothing. It is not the finale at all. I am not a Mad About You fan, but every once in a while I read something and I'm like, is this something I should check out? It has a lot of old-timey showbiz stuff that makes me very happy in, in print. But uh, no, I never really liked the show. And I think yeah. if you if you liked Seinfeld, having to sit through Mad About You, it was like, this is night and day. Yeah, it's so yeah. vanilla. Yeah, and this is it's old guard. It's beige. Yeah. It's just a yeah. beige show. <laughs> but the same cannot be said for the uh, season finale of Drew Carey show on uh, May 20th. Uh, Drew Carey show, My Best Friend's Wedding. This whole season had been leading up to uh, with Oswald marrying Kate. Kate Drew is secretly in love with. And then we find out towards the end that Kate is not fully in love with Oswald and they don't want to get married and they discuss it at the altar. All of that stuff. Who cares? I mean, I care because I don't. I, Kate is like one of the hottest sitcom characters of all time. She's the uh, ex-wife on Scrubs. I know you've seen Scrubs. Um, oh. Yeah, and this I, I loved her on this Krista show. Krista Miller? Yeah. I, yeah. Maybe that yeah. might be her name, but she's I, so funny. Yeah, she's really good. Um, also was great in Cougar Town. <laughs> I'm I'm going to bat for Drew Carey show as being it's not underrated necessarily, but it's a much better sitcom than almost everything in its periphery right now. Much better than Mad About You. Okay, so we've discussed yeah, yeah. today Murphy mm. Brown, Mad About You, and Drew Carey. Mm. All shows I have not seen pop up on any streaming platforms right. readily available. What is up with that? Well, I've said it on a couple of shows that I got the TV antenna. And on two channels in San Francisco, Drew Carey basically plays all day huh. over the air. And it's like, and it holds up really well. And partially due to like this, like, they're not afraid to break the fourth wall and like cannon, do cannon shattering horse shit. And if you know me, 
this episode begins with perhaps the greatest guest star of all time. Is it Alf? It's close, Diana. <laughs> hey, listen, Mr. Um, um, uh, hey, what's that on the ceiling? Where? <laughs> Mr. Carey, there's a guy coming in for a job. He's small and has an adorable list, but he's a genius, I tell ya, a genius. Hire him right away. So, do I have the job? Wait a second, I can't hire you. You're a, you're a duck. What are you trying to say here? You don't hire ducks? Well, if you were a jackass, maybe. Then he could run the place. But a, <laughs> but a duck? No. So that he, it's an awkward sequence. One of the things I hated about that Looney Tune show, oh, the Looney Tune show, was like when Bugs and Daffy were roommates and friends, uh, is that there's no sound. Mm-hmm. And like the Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes was built to like sell Warner Brothers music. Uh, but that's Daffy Duck, guest starring in the Drew Carey show. Uh, and it's oddly silent because they don't bother to pretend there's a laugh track or a studio audience there because they clearly had okay. to animate Daffy Duck. For a second there, I was like, "Did was this one of the few 90s shows that did not have a laugh no, track? No, okay. but I, I, at least they were like honest enough. Like, I don't know. If you showed that video to people, there'd probably be laughs here, but there's not. Right, and there's right, a, yeah. a little bit of Warner Brothers music. But I do encourage animation f- fans to see it because not only is Daffy lusciously animated – not unlike Roger Rabbit, everything moves when Daffy talks, touches it. No, the animation is stellar. It is above Space Jam. Oh, no, I was just silently laughing. Why? You, using the word luscious. Luscious? I can't use that to describe <laughs> animation? Fuck off, Sarah. This is Looney Tunes. This is where I get articulate. I get it. I get it. No, please go on. We <laughs> all they, have they, our things. Like, right after the sequence, he grabs Drew by the jacket, and his jacket moves, and his his arms it is all super that, cool. All of that stuff happens here, like a, like on a Roger Rabbit level, really, really cool. And again, the best sequence in Roger Rabbit is Daffy and Donald playing piano together. And this yeah. just oh, gives me that feeling all over again. Hmm. But that's the best part of that episode. Um, uh, May 21st, Fox airs the 11th annual Essence Awards. Um, I didn't watch it, but there's a video clip you can watch online of Chris Rock giving an award to Prince, a very quiet man who has Aww. to give a speech. Um, and on May 22nd, Single Out gets dumped by MTV after three years of quality Thank programming. <laughs> At this point, it was Carmen Electra, right? Instead of... Yes. Okay. Yes, it is Carmen Electra for the last season. I went like looking for clips and like, man, Chris Hardwick. I, for- oh I forget God. how long he's been around. He, yeah. He looks so young and goofy. <laughs> so like he chubby and just like earnest. And, yeah. and, well, and no, that he's, he's trying earnest, so but... hard to make jokes yeah. in a crowd full of douchebags that yeah. will not laugh at anything. He's really one of those guys that just like grew into his career. Mm-hmm. Like he was mm-hmm. – he's. Back then, he was already doing what he's doing now, mm-hmm. just not as well. Like, he just stuck with it. He was just like, I'm just going to keep doing I was, it. I was surprised how, how nerdy he comes off yeah. uh, when you watch one of those clips today. But also, it's an MTV game show. There was probably like 400 episodes. They're archived nowhere. I don't even remember the what? format of the show. It, it was okay. kind of like Red Light, Green Light. Yes. Would, <laughs> yeah. It was a dating show where they would like ask questions. And if something was true of you, like you, they, you people held would up step a sign forward. or something was, like that. Was, yeah. Oh, so like a crowd of guys. Yes, yes. All I remember is is hosted, co-hosted with Jenny Jenny McCarthy. Mm -hmm. My college roommate would turn it on really loud and leave it on. And it was so piercing and annoying. (laughs) Yeah, it was... It was, I, I'm so glad it's not archived anywhere so I can't accidentally run into it <laughs> and have a full freak out. Oh, I hated it, it so was, much. It was grating. 
Mm-hmm. And just like garish. Yeah, it was rough. And then, you know, you got the most hilarious woman in the world, Jenny McCarthy. Like, I really liked her at the time. About- Vaccines this early? Is that what we're, <laughs> is that what we're working with? <laughs> yeah. She just like garish is the perfect word. It yeah. was crass and garish. I just I can't get behind that whole like scatological humor for the sake of like being one of the guys that she was into. I don't know. I have a huge problem. I thought she was really funny. Like, and she had she'd got her own sitcom, so that's why she left the show. Oh, um that's no. why she wasn't there anymore. And and but garish is the man, a perfect way to describe that set. That like MTV Ugh. Velvet and garbage look like, <laughs> of like an MTV game show set. Jewel Just tones, hot, hot pink, and yeah. orange, yeah, yeah, and like glitter. Mm-hmm. It is. It is not a pleasant style. Anyone would want to revisit. It looks no. dumb. What singled out is over. I'm surprised it only lasted three years. I remember watching the show every day, being like, I can't watch this anymore. Why are they going to keep? Please tell me they're going to stop showing this. This is awful. That is it for television of 1998. We've got to breeze past the game, so there's not a lot there. But we will close out with Come With Me uh, by Puff Daddy featuring Jimmy Page from the Godzilla soundtrack. And we will see you again in 2008. All the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner, where we look even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of May 18th through 24, yeah, we got some stuff we can talk about. So 50 years ago this week, 1968, uh, we've got a nice triple feature of very 60s-sounding stuff. Uh, the Miniskirt Mob, Prudence in the Pill, and the Astro Zombies. I'm not going to recommend any of those. Those are all terrible. <laughs> Especially Astro Zombies. Oh my god. Ted... Ted V. Michaels was, um, what's below Z grade? Like Omega? Yeah. Anyway, 75 years ago this week, though, we actually have a, a good movie we can talk about. Uh, May 24th, 1943, was uh, William Wellman's The Oxbow Incident adaptation, starring uh, Henry Fonda, Dana Andrews, Anthony Quinn. It's now in the uh, National Registry of Film in Congress, because uh, as an adaptation especially, it is really good. It's a uh, Western yeah, it's a Western. It's a Western about uh, cattle ranchers and um, their suspected rustlers. And then it becomes about sort of mob justice and vigilanteism and lynching, honestly. And it's really good. Moves real fast. Very interesting. Yeah, total recommend for Oxbow Incident this week. And that's it. Stay classic.
Oh, get ready, Marvel fans. Coming in with the Black Widow herself. Falling Down by Scarlett Johansson off uh, Anywhere I Lay My Head, her album of Tom Waits cover songs. That makes me want to fall down a staircase. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we did a whole Laser Time episode about when celebrities sing. Was that singing? (laughs) uh, I mean, it's Tom Waits. Okay. It's more like a death rattle. (laughs) Mm, Um, I I mean, applause for doing something weird and... And yeah, you have to, if you're a woman singing Tom Waits, you got to push it up about seven octaves from where it started. <laughs> yeah, it just sounded like she was just talk singing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I we get include it. this with the Golden Throats from 1988? <laughs> I mean, it's it's not Mr. Timbering Man but Shatner, so... Fair. That is totally fair. What a bookend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> got two of them this time. Take about why Rihanna is still number one in 2008, May 18th to the 24th, but we also have some new releases, such as Somewhere in the World by Vanessa Amorosrasi, uh, Three Doors Down's self-titled fourth album, Ill Trill by Bun B, uh, Donna Summer's final album, Crayons, No Virginia by the Dresden Dolls, Departure by Je- uh, Jesse McCartney, and uh, Julian Howe's self-titled debut. I'm going to pretend I know anything about any of those. <laughs> let's let's brush past the news because uh, we got to get to the movies real bad because there are two weirdo sequels that occurred this week, even though this isn't technically a sequel. Uh, War Inc. Turakistan, what's the gig? Terminate Omar Sharif. This is the first war ever to be 100% outsourced to private enterprise. Tamerlane soldiers, Tamerlane tanks. What's my cover? Trade show producer. Welcome to Turakistan, sir. So this is not a sequel, but it stars everyone from Gross Point Blank. Oh, I was going to yeah. ask, is this a sequel to Wag the Dog? No. Okay, it, just kidding. But they're not, none of them are really the, Dan Aykroyd's kind of the same character. Uh, as he is in Gross Point Blank, but I don't think any of the characters have the same names. But instead of Hitmen, it is uh, arms dealers. Tur- what do they call it? Turkanistan? Yeah, Turkanistan. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you don't have to write the script today. Yeah. I mean, just make <laughs> no, up a new name for something. Like We don't have to do this combining names thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, John Cusack, he was super anti-war. He's a super lefty, mm-hmm. and he's been doing this for a really long time, uh, you know, criticizing the uh, the military industrial complex and it's satire's hard yes (laughs) i I will say i don't think this movie is bad and i I don't think anybody was talking about this let alone shelling it in a major hollywood movie 10 years ago um Mm. but there's that weird period of john cusack and what's his name like steve pink like they made pretty awesome movies together High Fidelity, Gross Point Blank. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, true. And this is another one of those. Joan Cusack is in there as well. Love her. Uh, as well as Marissa Tomei. But I always thought it was a weirdo sequel to Gross Point Blank. And it, it, that's not technically fair, but it's like if you really liked a theater company and all of them just did a different story and we're all in the same movie together, it's really nice if you like Gross Point Blank. And I'm getting that out of the way so we can talk about uh, our, one of the most anxiously awaited films of my entire life. See, the trailer will give this away. Oh, it will. Legend says that a crystal skull was stolen from a mythical lost city in the Amazon. Supposedly built out of solid gold, guarded by the living dead. Whoever returns the skull to the city temple will be given control over its power. You will help us find it. Uh, I haven't watched this in a while. 
Okay, um, I rewatched it last night. Whoa. I came I came proper this time, man. Oh, D- well, Diana, to preface this, I-, I asked you point blank, and I can't believe I never did it just last year, like what your favorite movie was, and you were just Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's the movie I watch every year. Mm-hmm. That's a movie I have literally no complaints about. So I'll default to you as the Indiana Jones expert. I, I've seen it, everyone but this one a thousand times. So I watched it last night and it was only the second time. The first time I saw it was in the theaters 10 years ago. And I just had no interest to go back because I was disappointed. I, I have nowhere <laughs> else to say this, but I read, I remember I read Harry Knowles book from Ain't It Cool News. Huh. And he said the first review he had to apologize for was Godzilla 98 because the internet had sort of was just getting around and they had a Madison Square Garden screening of Godzilla 98 and he's a big Godzilla fan. And he's like, the movie isn't out for the world yet. The mood was electric and he wrote a glowing review. And the longer he waited on that, the more he felt like he was used <laughs> uh, and and that he regretted giving that review. And I had just moved to San Francisco and had friend who worked at Lucasfilm. So I saw an advanced screening of this movie at Lucasfilm and then went to a party with all of the props and definitely not the stars, but like all the, like the cars from the cars in the movie were there for some reason and drank free wine. And like, this is a fantastic experience. And as as the days wore on, this is before the movie was out. I was like, what the fuck was that? I got to stop telling people I like this. I think I have to stop telling people I like this film. (laughs) Mm. And that, and I've been scared too scared to watch it again to, to that first couple hours. I was ecstatic. And I'm terrified to watch it again. Well, watching it again with a, a very critical eye, mm-hmm. I could see it's like, yes, the things that I thought were a problem before are still a problem. I'm not going to call this a bad movie. A lot of people say it's the worst fucking movie I ever fucking saw. Fucking Shia LaBeouf. No, he's not the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a- not the worst movie. It has really good parts, but it feels assembled from 18 scripts because that's what it is. Mm. Yeah, I that's remember, one of okay. the problems right there. All right, um, it's built around set pieces. That's and then the getting to and from the set piece sometimes doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And they were also so afraid of spoilers that so much of it is filmed indoors on sound stages that are supposed yes. to be outdoors. Yeah, and yes, it kind of fucks it up. If you remember, Marion being in the movie was not revealed. At all, like until the very last moment. I remember Mm -hmm. everyone I went to go see the movie again. I did see it again in the theater. Like, what the fuck was that? No one said Marion was in this movie. It wasn't in the trailers and it blew people away. But you're right. She like debuts. (laughs) She debuts in like a little room. Yeah, they kind of sneak her in and they don't give her anything to do. And that's so not fair because Karen Allen is awesome and she looks amazing. For real. Oh, yeah. 30 years after the fact. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they're kind of confused about how many bad guys are there and who are they? Cause like Ray Winstone is a bad guy. Then he's not, then he is, then he's not. And then he kind of doesn't need to be there. And then Kate Blanchett is usually going after moose and squirrel. <laughs> yeah. She is acting to the rafters. It is. She was yeah. a little much for the Indiana Jones movie, but Spielberg was pretty upfront with the idea that like, I'm just not comfortable doing Nazis anymore. And Nazis yeah. were like the greatest yeah. villain of yeah. Indian. And the one time they didn't do that, you get the problematic Temple of Doom. Mm. So you kind of yeah. have to get yeah. some like a, like a hypergalactic space ninja or not. And he didn't want to do Nazis again, to his credit. I will say to his discredit, die. what I have the biggest problem in the movie, read, just reading about it a little bit, um, and I, I just sim- like summed up in one sentence, uh, Spielberg's like, I don't want to leave my family, so I don't want to shoot outside the United States. I'm like, 
you fucking idiot. That's part of these why these movies are great is that you go to these yeah. foreign locations. And also that is your job. Totally. It's the job of Indiana <laughs> so. Jones. So everything is green screen or everything is like yeah. at best you have Hawaii. Hawaii is mm. substitutes for the jungle sequences. But the green screen in the movie is just not good. It wasn't good mm. in 08 and it holds up even worse mm-hmm. now, I would wager. Yeah. It's just so much of it's like, no, we're on a set. You can put as many palm trees in the background as you want. I know we're in a set. Yeah. Dump all the sand on the ground. This is a set. Yeah. When you watch Last Crusade and they walk into that, like, Jordan Temple with, like, the carvings, like, you think that's some weird thing Spielberg made rather than just set a camera in front of. But it's a, that's a, that's how you shoot an Indiana Jones movie. You go there. Yeah, and that's why I think the best sequence of the movie is when they're riding a motorcycle around Yale. It's like the only time they're outdoors. And it's like, <laughs> like, oh, some fresh air, finally. Oh, finally, there's sunshine. But, I mean, there's it has some weird little story problems. I kept thinking about the, the template of the other Indiana Jones movies and why they work better. And I think a lot of it comes down to the ending is always supernatural. But there's yeah. very little supernatural leading up to the ending. That's how it works in Raiders. That's how it works in Temple of Doom. And this one, there's actually some stuff <laughs> earlier on. Mm-hmm. And it kind of screws. I don't it's not, It just kind of made me go, what? Oh, you're psychic now? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Like, I have no problem with it being psychic aliens at the end. That's fine. Actually, it does not bother me <laughs> because I am expecting a supernatural payoff. And sure. My biggest problem in the movie that stands out to me when I even... When I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm there. I'm ecstatic. My eyes are glowing, and it's not Shia LaBeouf's fault. It's just like, and now he's swinging around with monkeys. Yep. And yep. Yep. Yeah, the, we have friendly monkeys in Indiana Jones, but not to this ridiculous Disney-esque extent. Uh, and yep. it looks fucking ridiculous. It looks so ridiculous, and the whole, the whole sequence. Oh, it hurts because. I I live tweeted my annual Christmas watching of Raiders last year and breaking down since then, I've gone through just the truck sequence in that and (laughs) tried to basically tried to storyboard it myself to understand why it works so well. And this one doesn't because it's like, we have to have an action sequence here. So it starts out with this like giant clear, this, this tree clearing machine and it gets destroyed. But why did you have it? Because now there are roads because we're having a car chase. And then mm. all, they have this giant car chase and everything gets destroyed, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, like, another truck full of dudes rides up. It's like, where the fuck were you in every other shot? <laughs> yeah. What? No. Blah, blah. And the, the, I think you could you could lay out this film's problems for days. And I shrugged them yeah. off. And I still maintain that. Like, the big thing that came out of this was, like, nu- this movie, Nuke the Fridge. That's the new Jump the Shark moment. And I still say, fuck you. That's a really cool Indiana Jones moment. I'm hiding from a nuclear explosion in a fr- refrigerator, which yeah. everybody back then told they could yes. was told they could do. Yeah, I don't know if it's really possible. Like that's, but that's not that should not be the the what the uh, that should not be the thumbnail uh, for what's bad about Indiana Jones. This Indiana Jones movie, it's almost everything else, including a bunch yeah. of actors you should like. Because I don't, yeah. I don't dislike Just, Shia LaBeouf, yeah. but there's there's this there's this half-assed handing of the torch in the movie. And it's not that I mm-hmm. hate him. It's just like you really think I'm going to follow this series with Shia. With another character? Well, sometimes I feel like with these movies, too, that have this, like, huge buildup to mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and, like, people who love movies are waiting for this. Oh, God. Yeah, it's finally here. The people, the actors 
are also so excited to be in these movies mm -hmm. that it all comes off. It's just too much emotion, like too much acting, too much expectation, too much everything. And it's like, I get it. Like if they were to say like, hey, we're going to do another Dirty Dancing thing and we're going to bring back Patrick Swayze and Jennifer, Jennifer Gray's old nose, I would be like, oh my God, <laughs> you guys, I would be melting down and anything less than perfect would be garbage to me. So I like... I get it, but I, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of these like huge movies like this that we're all waiting for for so many years, like they're almost destined to fail a little mm -hmm. bit. Yeah. And it's not the actor's fault necessarily, and it's not you know the director's fault, and it's not the script's fault necessarily. It's like a melange of issues. And it doesn't always happen. <laughs> I use Mad Max as a great example of like a fourth movie with decades in between that came out and yeah. blew everybody away. Yeah. Uh, which we'll probably never see another one if you've read about those behind Ooh, the scenes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think this, this, I don't, do you think it should be maligned as much as it is, Dime? I, I don't know. I mean, it comes to, it's not a good movie, but I, I can't quite call it bad. Mm. It's, it's somewhere, it's just so medium place. Like, watching it again, a lot of stuff made me roll my eyes. And a lot of stuff, like this time around, I picked out, little moments that I actually really liked little I mean there are callbacks that were very very tiny callbacks not giant callbacks I, like, oh come mm -hmm. on the mm -hmm. big callback bothered me so much in the theater yeah that you yeah. set like, an entire no, sequence no. in this thing we're never supposed to see again and then they wait as if we don't people figured that out in the trailer that we were yeah. in the famous warehouse the reference to Citizen Kane and the fact that oh that they show the arc for a second like Get the fuck out of here, dude. You can't do that. You can't this this is making this movie like a greatest hits album. Yeah. Yeah. But then there was uh like smaller moments like uh during the motorcycle chase, there's a part where they, they sort of get away and Shia LaBeouf's sort of laughing and Indy's just sort of looking at him, and it's a recreation of a similar moment from Last Crusade yeah. where Indy's laughing and his dad is just looking at him like, Why are you gloating? They're still after us. Shut up. <laughs> it's like little tiny and they don't make it a thing like this is like with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I never would have got that. Yeah, uh, Junior, uh, and and yeah. and we were um, we were talking about this on another show. What was it, Diana? Laser time about movies critics hated, mm -hmm. but like looking at Indiana Jones as like because I was too young to look at it this way. Like Tarant, like a Tarantino movie because Tarantino is has an encyclopedic knowledge of film. And really went very far by recreating genres that hadn't existed in a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg took a page from the serials, the Commander Cody horse shit and some of those old Batman yeah. things, where like they have 10-minute adventures that occur before movies. So therefore, in the movie, every 10 minutes has a crescendo. And that's why the original Indiana Jones was so mind-blowing. When I think about the movie Armageddon and why I hate it, it's because it does that. It it creates a new problem every 10 minutes that, oh, someone's going to die. They'll never get it. They do. Great. And you can only do that so many times. And, it, and so to me, Crystal Skull read like a more like an Armageddon ripoff, a ripoff of a ripoff. Mm. And that to, huh. to, to create this crazy sequence every couple of minutes didn't work in tw uh, 2008. And I don't know that it'll yeah. work again, but it's not going to stop him from reembarking on it because Disney has one in pre-production right now, a new Indiana Jones movie. Really? With Spielberg on board. I, I feel like Spielberg it was. It's not. It's not the. Not the action scenes that is the pop. The problem. The doing something big every ten minutes. It's mm -hmm. the connective tissue to get there. Because I didn't even notice yeah. the first time that there's 
we get basically two scenes that are identical action sequences. Huh. One where we're going into this scary graveyard and down into this tomb and hidden guys pop out. And whenever there's hidden guys, I'm like, so is this like third shift? Like, do you get a lunch <laughs> break? And then that happens again at the end. They go to a place and it's like, oh, now we're in a scary temple thing and hidden guys pop out. I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? Also, I didn't notice uh, the first time around that uh, Indiana Jones is directly responsible for the massacre of a tribe. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Oh, good lord. Yeah. yeah, there's this tribe that's, you know, the hidden guys that hide the temple and um, the Russians show up and just massacre everybody, which mm -hmm. is really sad because they're following Indy. But then after a spoiler, the UFO that this temple is built around takes off. It creates a valley and the river washes in and it drowns these people's village. Yeah. So they would have died. God, anyway. come on. I mean, I think we always forget about the ending of this film and how insane it is. Okay, but I'm okay with the, the idea that they're going for it. We did pulp 30s. We're doing pulp 50s now. Mm, okay. There should, be, there should be saucer men as a goofy thing. And that's fine. I actually, yeah, I that so. doesn't bother me. I get it. I think so too. But that was one of the things it was like roundly criticized for. And I only remember that because it's this bizarre instance of like Spielberg going out in public and like, what's up with those aliens, dude? And he's like, George wanted it. I didn't. And like, yeah. it's like well, one, like Spielberg never throws shade at anybody, but like, Really? George Lucas can tell you what to do? Like, yeah. <laughs> also, mom and dad are fighting. Yeah, it was... It, I don't like Right, this. it's like such a weird relationship with those guys that they're like yeah. old like friends from basically teenage years. That, yeah, he Spielberg has shit on this movie plenty. Wow. Yep. Oof. Yeah. yeah, it turns out George was the reason why it's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and not just Crystal Skull, which I think is a better title. Totally. Yes. Totally. Because you don't spend much time in the kingdom. Like two minutes and yeah. then everyone gets killed. Yeah, what the fuck? the fuck the, or just yeah. call it crystal head and then do a tie-in with dan Aykroyd's vodka yeah <laughs> that's not the right cup indy no, bad dan Aykroyd impression but i was trying it out for the first time uh oh, now i run want to rewatch this can we can we change deadpool screening to crystal skull tonight no okay that's behind two behind the scenes we shouldn't be talking about that <laughs> no now. no would you recommend it's worth rewatching for an indiana jones fan die who thinks that they hate it um, after 10 years I guess so yeah if you're like me and you haven't seen it in 10 years yeah the bad parts are worse the good parts are better so I mean really it's a two and a half star kind of situation with me where it's like I don't have a need to watch this again ever pretty much I think I'm done now before this what was your least favorite Indiana Jones die before Crystal Skull mm -hmm. I Temple of Doom actually which mm -hmm. I know is a lot of people's favorite but it they don't ever go anywhere <laughs> It's a lot of at least the temple they're there the whole time. They're just they're just in there. They're just in a mine the whole movie. Once they get to the mine, they never ever leave the mine. Uh, the, what the and title checks the out? At, like the thirty minute mark. <laughs> I love they it because of how violent, anywhere. scary, and racist it is. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> it's it's a great relic from the nineteen eighties. Uh, uh. It is wicked racist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You cannot make that movie again. But look, they tried. And they're going to try again. And I don't know if it'll have the same Star Wars effect. And I sort of hope it doesn't. Um, I don't know. Really? I, just, I just don't think the universe in Indiana Jones is as rich as George Lucas thinks it is. Because if you ever tried to watch young Indiana Jones? No. It was a, it was a little tough. Mm. They're, they're valiant. Did you ever see any of those episodes, Di? 
Some of them are pretty good. Yeah, some of them are pretty good, but then they also they, indie's always a different age. Well, is it mm. that you think that the subject matter doesn't have enough to mine, or that it just hasn't yeah. been in the right hands yet? I think so. I think Indiana Jones is sort of he was a John McClane before okay. John McClane, and now that we're on our fifth diehard, they've had to turn him into a superhero who has the answer to everything gotcha. and can survive everything. Okay. Where the first Indiana Jones is Harrison. We're like fuck. Ow! Shit! Ow. Like he's constantly getting the shit kicked out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And in fact, in That's fact, true. You can see the whole world, in including him, would be safer if he never went on any of the adventures in the first mm. movie. <laughs> Fair. Um. But uh. Yeah. I don't know. I I'll never not love Indiana Jones. It inspired me to dig holes in my backyard. Um. Forever and I did it for like ten years. Every time I watch one of these movies, I'm like, there's probably treasure out there. Mm. I'm going to dig in my backyard. Uh, I just I don't consider it the sacrilege I once did, but I Diana was on a Patreon episode, Patreon.com later time, where we talked about Ready Player One, and I have serious doubts about Spielberg being able to direct an action movie at this point. Really? Yeah, I like the post quite a bit, but Ready Player One is like this is so dull. Mm. Like <laughs> some of the stuff is so dull, and, and by a man who's might be a little bored. But you know what? That's okay. Like we all go through phases in our careers. I know, but he it's can okay. al- he can also just hire someone else to do it. To direct. Yeah. 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 Like let someone else take the reins of Indiana yeah, Jones. Well, like those kids who recreated sorry, it. Sorry, he's, <laughs> he's yeah, exactly. Let he's them a, make the new one. Sorry, he's the quintessential boomer holding on to that job <laughs> that could be given to a better millennial. And that's what we talked about in that Leisure Time episode because Indiana Jones is, or Gen Xer. is weird cynical nostalgia for the movies they grew up watching. I think a generation late, but like Indiana Jones is raw nostalgia. And that's what it was yeah. roundly criticized for in the 1970s for being too nostalgic. And oh, like boy. none of us ever had that read of it. Th- Everything that movie. old is new again, man. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. God, maybe we're just humans and have never found the... Never found the ingredients to live right. We're just going to keep telling the same stories over and over again. If we could and all just be teenagers forever. And 30, 2010 will be here. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no? That's, well, true. I really would like to I would like to be able to take my shirt off at the beach comfortably. So teenagers seems pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, why? why is my gut? This is a new bathing suit. The front should not be this pushed down by my gut. <laughs> And I wonder if – oh, everybody can see the hair on my back? Oh, great. Okay. It's, it's, it's not that funny. Sarah's laughing because of how true it is. It's true. I've seen him at the beach. <laughs> can I move on to TV diet? Do you want to keep talking about Nina Jones? Oh, no. You've I think I've said more than enough. Um, TV this week. We can be real short about it. Say goodbye to James Wood's shark. James Wood's America's Bye. Rose. Um <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we will miss him. Uh, on May 21st, David Cook wins American Idol. Who? Isn't that crazy? American <laughs> Idol has never been known for its winners. Well, Carrie Underwood. No, Carrie Underwood and uh, Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson. I thought they were, were – aren't their most famous people tend to be the runner-ups, the people who tend to do things in the music industry? Runners-up. Hmm. Um, yeah, actually, there are some of those. Mm. And uh, there's, re- there's a number of them, yeah. Rejoice, everyone. Same day, the fourth and final season of Mind of Mencia begins its run on Comedy mm. Central. <laughs> I, 
I took out the word beaners there because I just didn't want to say it, but oh, he had no problem with it. Well, ironically named Mind of Mencia when most of his jokes did not come out of his mind. <laughs> they did not. It's really, We've heard the Marin episode. Do, do not look into <laughs> so where a lot of those jokes came from. Uh, in, in, uh, also on May 22nd, Grey's Anatomy, Freedom Parts 1 and 2. It's four-season finale airs and really pushes the shit in of every other show on the, on television. Yeah. Uh, I forgot. That show's still on, right? It has it not been canceled. It is uh, guys, mm-hmm. I watch it. I've been watching it for years. Watch it every week. What did I tell you? My favorite it's story. It's not good, and I but know I I've love told, it. <laughs> I know I've told this before. We go over to Brett and Carolyn's house, mm-hmm. Brett being the former host of the show, mm-hmm, sometimes mm-hmm. their VO guy, and we turn on their Hulu, and it's like all Grey's Anatomy episodes, and we're all like laughing at Carolyn, like, oh, Carolyn, that's a lot of Grey's Anatomy, and she's just laughing, she's just laughing, and she's, and she's like... I don't watch that show. We just all turn to Brett, who's like mopey with his head down. Like, Brett, Brett is a big Grey's Anatomy fan. You know, you just like what you like. Okay. It's, it's a, yeah. Yeah. If, if it wasn't for the show, we wouldn't have. Do yourself a favor. There's a really great moment of Grey's. Seth Green, Grey's Anatomy, is one of the best moments ever where he is hitting on a girl for four seconds and then his neck explodes and it cuts right to credits. <laughs> it's the funniest sequence I've seen in my entire life. It's from Grey's Anatomy. We wouldn't have that without it. But uh, this is the four. Se- Do you remember anything about the four season? Um, barely, mm-hmm. to be honest. I actually went back and looked at this, and the kid in concrete. Like, yeah, there was the big thing was that this child teenager mm-hmm. came in and fully encased in concrete. I mean, this <laughs> hospital. Let he's me not tell a magician. You, no, no, he did it to like impress a girl or something, and like it always works. Yeah, lay in concrete, man. <laughs> woo. But uh, yeah, this hospital has is both the most unlucky hospital <laughs> in the entire world. I'm pretty sure they've had like two mass shooters running mm-hmm. around in there, a bomb go off in it, fire, and everyone who works there is so accident prone. Um, but yeah, did it's... They, uh, did they have a helicopter take a guy's arm off and then a couple seasons later come back to finish the job? What? No! <laughs> then ER wins! <laughs> okay. That is fair. That is fair. <laughs> That's not even the only hospital show to have a season finale, is it? You mentioned House? Oh, yeah. House uh, had a big season finale this week, actually. Mm And I do love House as well. Uh, And this was actually like a really good, really heartfelt one. I mean, I don't know how many people are fans of House, but... I've only seen the clip where he discovers the little girl is not sick. She's been masturbating. Yeah. Um, That's the only clip I've seen. That one is... If they come up with a bunch of PG terms... For like a fucking yeah. toddler jerking off. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a mom who thinks her child is having seizures. She's having convulsions. In and the she... car, in her car seat. And he's like, well, no, it's yeah, not she's that. She's diddling her wim- wigwam okay. or like okay. safe, safe for work terms. <laughs> there was also an episode of House, which is very scarring to me, where a woman got a tick in her vagina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. Jo- I've had two on my ball sack since I moved here. What? <laughs> yeah, they always go for the, the hot parts. Yeah. Armpits or the dick? Yikes. Anyways, uh, yeah, this episode was kind of a, a big deal um, because the two main characters are House and Wilson, mm-hmm. which are, you know, our stand-ins for Sherlock Holmes and Watson. And um, in this episode, Wilson, his best friend's 
uh, girlfriend, who he loves very much, dies kind of as a result of the house's actions. And it's like very touching. And this. Oh, I think I remember this one. Yeah. The one with the bus crash. And he yes. can't remember what happened. Yes. And they do some sort of, I think, medical brain imaging that doesn't exist yet, is maybe very futuristic to kind of recreate what happened so they can try to figure out what's wrong with her to help save her life. Of course, with House, it's like everyone has a very dramatic, very rare disease. It's not just that they were in a bus accident, but you know. He's always heard of it. Yeah, yeah. It's um it's it's a really intense, really special episode though. I mean like not capital S, capital E special episode, but uh yeah, it really shows their friendship in a very unique way and it really kind of sets the tone for the rest of the series. It also is notable for the um there's a, a major scene where House, who is a drug addict, is in a bar uh, drunk and he is being asked to leave or it, Wilson's girlfriend's asking him to leave and the bartender is played by none other than noted thespian Fred Durst. Cheer! Yeah. <laughs> just weird. Just a That's thing. random. Right? And I, looked, house fan. I was like, this can't be true. And then I looked up and it is totally true. Like the bartender with the tuxedo and the red hat? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. him. That's him. <laughs> surprise you. Yeah. Um, and last bit of TV news. Um, Jesus, Diana put this in, of course. Damn right. You say it. Uh, <laughs> Dima Balan. Yeah, Dima Balan of Russia's song Believe wins the Eurovision Song Contest 2008. 2008. Hear a little bit of that. There's a clip. It's fine. This really is, truly is the best song in the world. Well, it's, appro- <laughs> it's appropriate given our conversation, considering it's, a hospital it's set in a hospital. Background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Uh, if we can move into video games of the week, there's a bunch of notable things. And I've we haven't talked about games a whole episode, um, but some really notable, man, dated 2000 stuff in here. Uh, Haze, the Ubisoft shooter that involves a really neat conceit involving a drug called Nectar. So sometimes you're hallucinating and sometimes you're not. And you the in-between kind of blurs. And it, um, it didn't review very well. It was supposed to be a big PS3 exclusive. Um, but it's worth tracking down if you want an interesting uh, shooter. Also, if you have a PS3, especially Europeans, this went way over way bigger over there. SingStar. I'll let you guess what this is about. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, a karaoke game that, that did huge for a couple of years, um, especially over in Europe. The first episode of Penny Arcade Adventures on the Range Lake Precipice of Darkness uh, debuted this week. Penny Arcade was a popular mm. uh, comic show. I think yeah. PAX is much more popular than Penny Arcade at this yeah, point. Probably. Um, but they were a comic, a webcomic. I don't know of any other webcomic other than Sam and Max that got its own video, like episodic video game. And they sure enough did, even with a four or five year break in between episodes. Uh, but the biggest one, and I don't know much about it. I just know how much my MMO fans were looking forward to it. Age of Conan Hyborian Adventures, a huge game by uh, by Funcom, finally came out this week after lots and lots of delays. It was anxiously awaited, and I think it was up and running. It came out on Steam in 2013 as well, five, five years after its debut. It eventually went adopted a freemium model. This is one of the last games I can remember everyone. Games with a subscription model. They've been trying to make that work with a monthly fee. Mm-hmm. No one can really do it. And mm-hmm. I think an Age of Conan, uh, other than WoW, Age of Conan's 
was the most valiant attempt. And I know a lot of my PC MMO loving friends were very much looking forward to Age of Conan High Boring Adventures. But that debuted, and that is about it for the show. Uh, you can find out more at 302010.net or lasertimepodcast.com. At least three times in this episode, I dropped the idea that Laser Time is a show for pop culture's fans. If you like this show, that is topic based. Which ones are the the that critics suck? The ones about uh, great movies that critics hated. Uh, mm-hmm, and I forget mm-hmm. the other one. God damn it. But uh, yes, go listen back to the episode. You'll figure it out. Lasertimepodcast.com or 3020.net. We love your comments. We always miss stuff. Uh, I love whoever it is who comes in there with all the book stuff that I constantly forget to research uh, when I miss a Japanese game release because I just my four resources don't have it listed. Uh, leave a comment. Let us know how how you feel about this stuff or what we missed. Yeah, Fill in I the re- gaps. I really appreciate the comments last week about the Boy Meets World episode mm-hmm. with Corey and Topanga. <laughs> Definitely some different perspectives, which I totally appreciated and loved. I mean, oh, I think that's why Diana... you got called a feminazi. <laughs> Maybe I was trying to remember what. Like, why would you call her that? <laughs> no one called me that on the thirty twenty ten board. Yeah, yeah that's the, the angry it's, Reddit it's people. The, yeah, <laughs> I personally consider it like leveling up in life when someone calls me that. <laughs> But whatever. That's it's a badge of honor. It man. is. Like, For a woman like, on the internet, you made it, girl. I must be doing something right. Right? <laughs> Pissing off the wrong people. But no, I really enjoyed the the comments about our reactions to Corey and Topanga. I thought they were all really uh, well thought out and and yeah, great perspectives for, for real. Yeah. And um and yeah, please make sure to leave those comments. Someday we'd like to do another the, what we used to do, a show for patrons where you, I love going through your comments. As a favor to me, do that. Or as a bigger favor to me and other people, uh go to uh, patreon.com slash laser time. That supports all the shows in the laser time network. We're, we want to round those out a little bit. You get a weekly free show for doing that, access to over a hundred commentaries. Um yeah, so thank you guys so much. We are almost hundred percent listener supported, so we do truly appreciate that. Thank you guys so much. And without further ado, we got to take oh, Diana. I didn't get to do my plugs. Oh, my bad, hey. Dean. Uh, so my plugs are I am on Twitter, mostly making fun of movie mm-hmm. newspapers at Le Cine Nerd. And mm-hmm. this week, I believe it comes out, uh, I'm doing a guest spot on These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. Whoa. Cool. Uh, talking about a completely insane episode of SVU, which also just made me go through all the Law and & Orders and all the SVUs looking for the best guest stars so we can start bringing them up on the show. I know what the answer is. Christopher Maloney. Just because he looks like me. <laughs> Christopher <laughs> Maloney. Yeah. Looks oh, like no, not you? him. Uh, Imperioli. Christopher, yeah. Imperioli. You are He's the best guest star. Christopher. Christopher. He can smoke Christopher. a cigarette in the rain with yes. his hands tied behind his back. His nose is so big. Yeah, but now we got to get into the, the births and deaths. Die. Who births died? Who died? So in 1988, we lost Dawes Butler, 71. Ah. He was the voice of like all the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. He's technically why Hanna-Barbera sucked, but was really <laughs> versatile. The reason, one of the reasons I hate Hanna Barbera cartoons, because mostly it's an every character is an old impression of some vaudevillian, like Bob Hope esque comedian. But that's because it's all Daz Butler. Okay, he's everyone. He's Quick Trial McGraw. He's Yogi Bear. He's Snagglepuss. Um, and he's he's even when he's not the star, he's in every Hanna Barbera cartoon. He is an amazing, amazing, prolific voice actor who doesn't get held aloft as much as Mel Blanc, but he probably should. Uh, but yep. he, he basically mentored uh, Nancy Cartwright, so we yep. might not have Bart Simpson without him. Right. And then in 1998, uh, who's also 71, oddly enough, we lost John Derrick. That's not really a loss. I'm sorry. This guy's gross. Oh. <laughs> Who is he, Doc? Yeah. <laughs> well, he was he was an actor uh, back in like the 50s and 60s, like a Hollywood actor. And then getting into the 70s and 80s, he started making movies starring his much younger wife, Bo Derrick. 
oh. about how hot she is naked, like oh. Tarzan the Ape Man or Bolero. Bolero. They're creepy. But, they are so creepy. Wow. Okay. But not 10. No. Okay. That's Blake Edwards. Well, We've talked about on the show a lot. Okay. I'm confused. Oh, Tarzan the Ape Man is so, so disturbing. Really? Because hmm. it's just... Bo Derek, who's the most beautiful woman ever, but she can't act for shit. And uh, Miles and Miles O'Keefe uh, in a loincloth and they're like making out with a chimpanzee on them. And every now and then she like stares at the camera and is like, I'm a virgin. Yeah, sure. And I'm going to go uh, with this ape man now. And it's like, what am I watching? <laughs> Yikes. John Derek movies are awful. Ghost Can't Do It, starring the president. Look it up. <laughs> okay, and uh, with that, we, with the deaths, we must go into the births. Oh, birthday. <laughs> okay. Born May 23rd, 1958. He is turning 60. Uh, he is a sergeant. He was a sergeant in the Marine Corps Reserves. He's uh, a libertarian and a Buddhist. His autobiography, his autobiography is called Dirty Jokes and Beer, Stories of the Unrefined. Uh, he flunked out of school, was basically homeless. Is it Drew uh, Carey? It is Drew Carey. Yes! Only got it from the book. <laughs> I was going to say, he was basically homeless, killed, tried to kill himself, which he's talked about, and within 20 years, he had his own sitcom and was making $750,000 an episode. Wow. That's almost yeah. how much we make for 302010. I mean... Uh, give or take a couple of zeros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all the zeros. Also, Drew Carey does not look 60. Not I at mean, all. Well, he he started out with the look of someone who is 60, so he kind of picked an age. <laughs> Ooh, look. that's true. That's if, true. If, you're, if your whole look is based on a dad being disappointed in his gay son, <laughs> Aww, that, yeah. that might be a little more timeless than you yeah. think. Well, it turns out that's why he had that look is because he was a Marine Corps reservist. That's yeah. why he had the birth control glasses and, the, and the crew cut. The flat top haircut. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's why he had that look. Eventually you grow into that haircut. Birth control glasses. Never heard that before. Or die. It's a great two in the show. <laughs> Um, that is 302010. Once again, 302010.net to leave your comments or lasertimepodcast.com. Check out our other shows, Laser Time and uh, Video Game Apocalypse, which is in and out during the hiatus. But if you like video games, a uh, prolonged video game talking to that, usually with Michael's, uh, with Diana's husband, um, Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Raparez. Uh, we will close out with Shia LaBeouf <laughs> by Rob Cantor. We will see okay, you guys. I, I've never seen this before. It's fantastic. My husband showed it to me the other day, and I was like, I have so much respect for Shia LaBeouf now. Yeah, with an awesome You're Orson Welles reference at the end. <laughs> yeah. There's I, I love this so much. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's it for 302010. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. He's following you about 30 feet back. He gets down on all fours and breaks into a sprint. He's gaining on you. Shia LaBeouf. You're looking for your car, but you're all turned around. He's almost upon you now, and you can see there's blood on his face. My God, there's blood everywhere! Running for your life from Shia LaBeouf. He's brandishing a knife, it's Shia LaBeouf. Lurking in the shadows. Hollywood superstar Shia LaBeouf. Living in the woods, Shia LaBeouf. Killing for sport, Shia LaBeouf. Eating all the bodies. Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Now it's dark, and you seem to have lost him. But you're hopelessly lost yourself, stranded with a murderer.